and turn to the book of Amos. If you brought your Bibles, if you have your technology, go ahead and find the book of Amos. And um, how many of you have seen my new toy that I have for 2018? I'm really excited about it because I can now control my own notes. And how many of you know control is a big deal? And uh, even get a little laser pointer in there as well. Somebody's sleeping, I can laser point you out now. So uh, I'm just all fixed up and I'm ready to go. And uh, excited about, uh, excited about what uh, God's doing and how he's enlarging us. Amos chapter 3. If you're there, say, I'm there. Praise God. Years ago, I read a book. It was back in the 80s, 1980s. I read a book entitled Megatrends. And the book was written by a gentleman by the name of John Naisbitt. Now, uh, Naisbitt has actually become uh, what we would call an expert on trends, especially business trends. And he's written many books since the mid-80s, and they're under various titles. Uh, The book that made him famous was called Megatrends. And I remember back in the mid-80s, I read the book Megatrends. And I also remember a particular ministry that sort of hitchhiked on that and gave a a book primarily for the church that was called Spiritual Megatrends. And all of this took place there in the mid-1980s. This week, as I've just been kind of cruising the Internet and Googling things and uh, just kind of reading on different areas, I'm finding out that there are a lot now of articles and people who write concerning trends, both in the business world as well as in the church or what we would call the spiritual world. And they write on these things because everyone wants insight as to what's around the corner. Isn't that, isn't that a, a really a, a good thing? What, 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 what would it be like if you could have insight around the corner? What if you could see something that nobody else could see? What if you could know something that very, very few people might know. Would that not be an absolutely cool thing uh, to be able to have? And so I believe, honestly, that there is a place in the ministry, a place in the church where God's people can be positioned and can be favored and can have really a divine, distinct advantage over perhaps what they know in the world. Now, that's not always been the case. A lot of times it seems like the world has uh, more understanding and insight than even the people of God, but that's not how it was meant to be. How many of you know that if you serve the Lord, if God is inside of you, if the word be true, that greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world, how many of you know we ought to have some sort of an advantage? There ought to be a distinct advantage to having a God who sees the end from the beginning. A God who can see around the corner. How many of you know God is never snagged? (laughs) He's not, there's no time that God is in the heavenlies and he goes, oh, that caught me by surprise. It doesn't work that way. And this is the same God that moves in his church, that moves in his people, and that, that moves, I believe, in the ministry of the prophetic in order to begin to help us 
see around that corner, to begin to understand, to begin to hear his voice, to begin to know what to do. The Bible talked about the sons of Issachar, who were men who understood the times and they knew what to do. And I believe that if there ever was a moment that we needed that again in the life of the church, I believe it's the air we're living in. I believe there is so much ambiguity that exists, spiritual ambiguity as well as all other forms of ambiguity. We, we, we are a confused people. We, 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 we don't have understanding. We're darkened. There's deception. Uh, we're living in a, a time period of mixed signals. We're living in a time period, just for an example, we're looking at Wall Street. I don't know, I'm not invested in Wall Street, but if you have any understanding or been watching those numbers, do you understand that I think we're at like 22,000 is Wall Street now. And for years, I mean, it was just at like, you know, six or 7,000 was considered a good Wall Street number. And we're four or five times above that. And the question is, can that be sustained? And if it can't be sustained, then what happens if it all comes crumbling down? Can anybody see around that corner? Can anybody know what to do? I think we're living in a time period of great fear. We have, we have issues of, of crazy dictators like in North Korea who have their finger on nuclear buttons. And what are we going to do? And do the people who we placed in charge of our nation, do they really know what they're doing? Do you understand it's a time period that if we could just see around the corner, if we could just know a few things, if we could get a little insight, it could make all the difference in the world. And I feel like the church of Jesus Christ is the one, if I can use the term, it's, it's, it's an organization, but how many of you know that it really is an organism because the church isn't just just your paperwork that sits in a file somewhere, but the church is the relationship that we all have together. If, if the church would begin to understand what was going on, we are, uniquely, we are uniquely graced and we are uniquely skilled to have the ability to speak to the world and to tell them, this is what's going on, you need to get ready. You need to be ready. And if we had any credibility in that area, the world would take notice. Right now, I don't know if they take notice or not. And so the Lord has just really been laying on my heart a number of things. And uh, some of it, I'm sure, has been birthed out of this reading. I, I, I will be the first to admit, I've been, I've been reading all kinds of articles lately. Everybody trying to guess these trends. And they've been doing studies and surveys and all these kinds of things. And that's a wonderful thing. And there's a place for that. But as I was reading this, I began to say to myself, all those studies and surveys, it's great, but what is God saying? Because he's the one who ultimately knows. And so as we're transitioning out of this year and into the next year, I thought what better time to at least uh, take a stab as best as I understand as to some of the things I feel like the Lord is saying as we're moving in uh, to a brand new year. And uh, I guess all I can say at this point is let he who hath ears, let, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I asked you to turn to the book of Amos because the book of Amos is an interesting, is an interesting book to me. Let me give you a little background to the book of Amos. Amos was a prophet that arose 
during a time period when the nation of Israel was actually doing quite well. Most of the time when you're talking about the prophets, they're usually in the midst of a moment when nations aren't doing so well. And they're calling them to repent or they're calling them to change or they're calling them to do certain things. Amos arises when actually Israel is at a time of incredible stability and in some ways we would call it prosperity. Uh, Economically they were doing well. Uh, Politically and geopolitically they were doing well. There was some sense of stability with neighbors and in the region. You didn't have some some Amalekite or Amorite or uh, some other ite trying to you know destroy them. They were they were stable. Things were going well and 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 interestingly, they were going so well that if you will study the book of Amos, you will see that the nation of Israel actually became somewhat smug in their spirituality. This is what happens when things go well. Our tendency is to think that it must be the favor of God. It must be that God's God's doing all of this. And if I'm prospering and if I'm doing well and things are going great, then obviously God must be okay with what's going on. But that's not always the case. It not only works that way with nations, but it can work that way with people as well. I've watched people prosper. The worst thing in their life was for them to prosper. When they were on their knees seeking God for their resource almost on a weekly basis, they were pressing in, doing what they needed to do, seeking God like they needed to seek God. They were never in a better spiritual position than they were when they were lacking. Now, I don't believe it's God's will for anyone to lack, but hear me in what I'm saying. Their lack drove them to certain spiritual places and disciplines that it was the exact thing they needed. As soon as they prosper, their prosperity just suddenly lifts them and drives them out of the things of God. And that's the saddest thing in the world, and it happens to nations as well. You ever notice when airplanes hit towers, how everybody streams to the house of God? But when everything's okay, everybody forgets the Lord. It happens that way in nations as well. And that's exactly what was going on in Israel at the time of Amos. And so God raises up Amos. And he says, I want to address this spiritual smugness in you, this this sort of uh, spiritual uh, apathy or lackadaisical attitude. And, And so... Amos begins to speak to him and call to him again. And and it's really kind of a strange message to speak to a nation that says, what are you telling us to repent for? Can't you see? The stock market is as great as it's ever been. The economy is booming like it's never boomed. People are getting jobs like they've never had jobs before. What do you mean repent? Can't you see the favor of God? And it was Amos who said, get back to the plumb line. You've lost the plumb line. Don't let this stuff fool you into thinking that somehow everything's cool. Amos says it's, it's, not, it's not that way. And so he begins to speak and write these particular things. And in Amos chapter 3, there's some passages here uh, that I want to read to you that, that are my springboard and just talking about some trends that I feel like the Lord put into my heart. Now, you can weigh them. Uh, you may disagree. Uh, but you can take that before the Lord. I'm just sharing you things that the Lord put into my heart. Ten spiritual trends. And, and if I have ten of them that I'm going to share with you, how many of you know I've only got about 60 seconds on each one? Maybe two minutes. Spiritual trends for 2018 and beyond. This is what Amos 3, 3 through 5 says. It says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? 
Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? Will a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? Will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Now this is the key verse, at least a little bit for this morning. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Now, Amos begins to write down these things with regards to questions. And I like these questions because these questions, uh, I refer to them sort of as self-evident questions. In fact, if you'll go back to verse 3, as he begins to ask these questions, he says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Well, well, of course not. They, they have to be agreed if they're going to walk together. Um, will, a lion, will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Well, well of, of course not. It's just they're self-evident questions. And he goes through all of these questions that are just self-evident. You know the answer. It's not a, it's not a pop quiz that you have to fear. He's, he's saying things which are obviously obviously self-evident and when he finally gets to the verse 7 he said all these obvious things till finally he looks and he says surely God will do nothing unless he reveals his secret plans to his servants the prophets and so what God is saying is simply this it is self-evident that there will be voices that will begin to speak things to you that if you disregard it will be as incredulous and ludicrous as as if you were to look at these other questions and, and think that somehow or another those were crazy as well. He's reminding them to listen to these voices, to listen to what's being said, to listen to what God is saying because there are voices that will come in order to help you see around the corner. Now, it's been years, I think, since I've shared this story, but I just want to share some of it. And we may go through this list rapidly and tonight I may come back to some of this, but, but years ago when uh, we were baptized in the Holy Spirit, I mean, we, we didn't know anything. This was back in 1989. I, 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 I'd been saved for a while and had gone to school. Of course, I, I knew the Bible. But when it came to the things of the Spirit, I don't know that I had a thimble's worth of knowledge in 1989. Everything I was learning, I was learning on the run. Uh, gratefully, uh, Pastor Miles there at Evangel Cathedral uh, whether it was the Lord or whether it was just sheer pity. Uh, he, he said, why don't you come on staff and help me out, and, and uh, I'll always be grateful for that. And so uh, I did, and, and I had opportunity to begin to learn and watch and begin to be instructed. And out of that came interesting things. Now, I don't know, we were probably 1990, 91, or, or at some point, but there was, there was a nationally known prophet that came through evangel cathedral at that time and he'd only been in america just a few short weeks and we were we were one of the first ones to be able to host that ministry and uh, i knew nothing about prophets i knew nothing about uh, new testament prophets how they functioned how they operated if they were real honestly i grew up in a denomination that basically if it wasn't logical reasonable and explainable it, it was the devil you know that's kind of how they looked at everything and uh, so you know this was kind of new for us uh, I was in charge of, of picking the guy up at an airport. I got him to the hotel where he was staying, make sure that he was set up uh, appropriately. 
Uh, when it came service time, I was the one to drive by, pick him up, get him to the, the church on time. And so I, I share all of this with you to simply, simply say that I know that he had zero interaction with anybody in that congregation because I was the guy that picked him up and took him back. I mean, there was no way. He wouldn't hardly talk to me. And he was, he was he, you know, he's from South Africa. He had kind of a cool accent and he had long hair. And if I said his name, you'd probably know his name. But, but uh, you know, he, he just, he had all kind of the attributes of what you think a prophet to be, you know. He just kind of was this loner guy. He wouldn't talk much or anything. Talented in, in numerous ways. So we take him to service and I began to watch the ministry take place from this man that just honestly i'm I'm glad one of my first experiences were from somebody such as him because i i saw things and i heard things that there was no other way to explain it except god was at work in that man i mean he was pulling people out of the congregation hear me now i i got him at the hotel i brought him to church there's no way he was pulling out names and addresses the word of knowledge that operated in that man was incredible i listened to him uh, uh pull out doctors names physicians names of people i knew the stories of some of the people that he was speaking over that absolutely nobody knew about that they didn't want to be told and he would know details of the story i watched in one situation a mother that was brought forward had a son who was in a desperate situation and uh, he had a very unique name. Now, hear me. You know, you may prophesy, and you could probably have a percentage chance if you called out the name Paul or Peter or Joe or George or a name like this that was a fairly widespread, notable name. Uh, that would be amazing enough if you were to absolutely hit it. But he pulled this mom out, began to prophesy, and said, Your son, and named the name of her son whose name, listen to this, was Chavis. Now, if that didn't buy the spirit, I don't know what is. Remarkable. And through that weekend, and, and, and I think he was actually here a week, he, was, he prophesied over numerous people, but I'll never forget one night he grabbed my hand, and I wasn't looking for it, I wasn't asking for it, I wasn't in the line to get it, he just had pulled me out and picked me up, and he grabbed my hand, and he began to prophesy over me. And there were numerous things, and I have them tucked away somewhere, but I remember the one phrase that he began to speak over me that has just resonated in my heart for my whole life since that time and the whole ministry since that time, and it was this. He said, what I have, this is him speaking, what I have, I now give to you. And it's just a simple phrase, and I didn't even know maybe all that it meant at that moment. I'm quite sure I didn't. But I can tell you that that the ministry was over, it was done, the week was over, a few weeks went by, and all of a sudden something started to bubble inside of me. It never happened before, it was almost unexplainable. Something began to bubble inside of me like a well, and, and words began to stir inside of me. And I remember, <laughs> I was on the platform with Pastor Miles, it was just kind of an ordinary Sunday type of day, and I, I'd have looked at him, and I, this is maybe a month after these meetings, and I just looked at him and I said, I think I have a word from the Lord. And he just, he, this is what he would do. He just say, go, you know, go do it. So I said, I don't know what I, you know, I'm doing this inside now, I don't even know what I'm doing. 
And I remember, I just opened my mouth, got a few words out, and then it was like the spring that began to take place, just began to flow. And once that began to happen, and that release began to take place, at least for me in my life, it, it became more and more evident. It became more and more uh, frequent. Uh, and these things started happening until finally everybody, I didn't ask for it again, didn't look for it. Everybody started saying, he's a prophet, he's a prophet, he's a prophet. Now that may well be, and I'm kind of of the position that you don't have to announce necessarily who you are, that, that whoever you are will be self-evident after a time anyway. But there was no doubt that something was taking place inside of me that I had never experienced before. And while I cannot say that I've had as dramatic a moments as the one who prayed for me or prophesied over me, I can tell you there's been some pretty wild things that have happened generally in my life to where I've become pretty much convinced that the calling of God upon my life has been that essential prophetic area. And that's like good news, bad news. It's like the good news is it's, it's, it's nice to be able to maybe encourage or share with people, you know, certain things that God's saying and you can see the hope come back and the future come back and, and these things are wonderful things to have. But then, you know, to be maybe like Amos and look at people and say, listen, it may all be going great right now and you may be living in high times, but you need to get back to the plumb line. That part of it, you know, that don't sell as many tapes. Well, I can't even say tapes, does it? You can't, you, can't access, you can't subscribe to the podcast on that one. But I share that with you, just simply say that there, there, are, there are people in the earth that actually can hear and speak and see and say. And part of the reason we're having our Roar Out of Zion conference with these workers is because these workers not only carry this gift, but these workers can teach and help you to understand how to hear God better how to see around the corner, maybe even to receive some things that you've never considered before. And, and we're also going to talk about what that means, how to handle that so you don't get weird or nutty or crazy with it all. So that's why this is important because I think we're living in a day and age where we've got to clear up the fog and we've got to clear up the ambiguity and we need to be able to see things clearly. There needs to be a sound. The people can't prepare themselves for battle unless there's a clear trumpet that takes place. And that's why I think the prophetic gift uh, may be more relevant and practical than at any other time, probably in the last maybe 30, 40 years. We shall see. But as I was praying about all of this, I just felt like there were certain things that began to sort of jump in me. And uh, I'm going to share it with you. Because here's what I feel like the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying uh, it, is, it is time, it is really time to be who you are. And I believe that time is now. It's, it's time to be who you are. And uh, I've always tried to be a great pastor. I want to be a great pastor. I'm still going to be point person, but, but there's going to be a more prophetic thing that I'm just going to let flow. And some of this, some of this is reflected in this uh, list. Some of it probably is more for me than maybe for you, but uh, I wanted to share it and I wanted to get it out there for everyone. So uh, let's just begin to share some of these 10 things. I promise I'm not going to spend 20 minutes on each point, all right? We're, we're going to, so just bear with me as we go through it. But these are the things that the Lord has just been put, putting into my heart. Number one is this, that there is a second reformation that is brewing. There's a second reformation that is brewing. Um, 
I went to hear Eric Metaxas speak the other day. He was out on Kiowa Island, and it was a great uh, lecture that he gave. He just had written a new book entitled Luther, and I'm, I'm not through it. I'm anxious to read it uh, all the way through. But for those of us that know a little bit about Luther, we understand that, you know, L Luther didn't wake up one day and said, hey, I'm just going to be a pain in the neck to, to, to the religious system, and I'm just, I'm just going to aggravate everybody I know uh, because it's just kind of, that's cool. Uh, no, Luther saw things by way of practice, and he saw things by way of doctrine that had to be addressed. And because he addressed it, it actually became the foundation uh, for the Reformation. We know the first Reformation, and that Reformation actually became the foundation for our nation. And I wish I had more time to be able to teach on that. But th the fact of the matter is that Reformation was essential in the life of the church. I'm telling you there is a second Reformation that is brewing and the reason it is brewing is because we're living in an era of this era of ambiguity again, uh, both doctrinal ambiguity as well as uh, uh, an ambiguity in ecclesiology, which means how we practice the faith within the life of the church. There, there is such confusion and ambiguity that we basically baptize just about anything the world says. We just baptize it and put a spiritual name on it, and we just say this is, this is what we're going to do because... We no longer ask, is this God's will or is this God's word? The question we ask these days is, will it work? And that's the wrong question. Polygamy may work for some people. That don't make it right. You understand? There are a lot of things that may work, but that doesn't mean it's right. And there's another reformation that we got to break out of this will it work phase. Will this work? Well, there are a lot of things that, that can work, even in your own life. You can say, well, will this work? Will this work? Will this work? Well, at what point do you ask, is this God's will? We've got to break out of some of our pragmatisms. And, 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 and it's not just idealism. It's getting back to the obedience of hearing, what has God asked me to do? And am I willing to do it? And it takes reformation to get back to that place. Luther already paved a way 500 years ago. But there's a second reformation brewing. So don't be surprised if, if you hear of these tensions. In fact, you'll see these tensions occur. We, we want to get along, and everybody wants to get along. I want to get along, but, but there are certain things that you just can't get along with. If you get along with compromise, then you're getting along with some wrong things. If you're getting along with sin or evil, you're getting along with wrong things. There's a second reformation brewing, and I'm just preparing you to, to know that, that that there's going to be some, some massive, I think, important changes that are going to be taking place. Number two, uh, you know, the bishop has been speaking to me, and I just want to give some affirmation because he's been speaking this word for decades now, and I'm just here to declare it because I have chewed on it. I'm not sure I have the fullness of the revelation that he has on it yet, but there are some things that are resonating in my heart that are absolutely essential, and I believe there's going to be a first fruit of City Church Networking that's going to begin to take place. What, it came to me out of Ephesians 3 when he began to read how powers and principalities can only be addressed through the church. And that's not just one local church. That if there are powers and principalities over our region and our city, then it's going to take a citywide church expression. I don't know that I have the answer to what that looks like, but it's going to take us understanding that one local church is not going to be able to take it down, but the church can take it down. Now, how do people get into that unity? Those are great questions. How do people get into that, that moment where that can be administered? That's a great question. And I don't know that I have all the answers, but I'm telling you, I believe those answers are beginning to flow. 
And I believe this is right around the corner. The city, how, how are we going to address the issues of a city? How are we going to address, right now, this is, this is Planned Parenthood is making a beachhead in Charleston whose nickname is the Holy City. That doesn't seem right to me. Now, how do we address that? I don't know that one local church can, but I believe the church could to where we say, not, no, not, not on my watch. Number three, I, I believe that there are going to be new wineskins that are going to begin to emerge for an outpouring of new wine. I am one of these people who really does believe that before Jesus wraps this thing up, there's going to be another outpouring of his spirit. That's what I believe. I don't believe the church is going out with its tail between its legs, that we're going to be bruised and beat up and, and looking ragged. But I honestly believe that there's a, yet another revival, another outpouring that's going to take place. In fact, I believe revival will come before awakening because the church has to be prepared. And this is what I believe the Lord said. He goes, I'm going to start, I'm going to start speaking to you about your wineskins or about your structures because the church through history of revival in particular has been a lot like lottery winners. You know, what, you know what the statistics are of a person who wins the lottery? It changes their life, and in three years, they're broke again. That's, that's most lottery winners. Do you understand? That's what the church has done, basically, through the years. We have revival. It changes our lives. Incredible things happen. But because we have no idea how to handle all of this blessing, we're just like those lottery winners. We're right back in the same state we were the day prior to winning the lottery. So God's going to have to work some things into us, both structurally and in discipline, in order for us to retain this outpouring. He very much wants to do things that are out of the box. Amazing. I'm praying that we start seeing people baptized in the Holy Ghost again. We've got to. It's time we practiced our spiritual, full gospel practices again. The sound of people singing in the Spirit. The sound of people praying in the Spirit. We're ashamed of, of these foundations and we need to recover these foundations again and help those that will be coming through the revival to begin to enter and practice these things as well and not get taken away by every wind of doctrine and deception. Number four, I believe that there's going to be even more steps in the restoration of what's called fivefold ministry. Now, I'm, every one of these points I could do probably an hour sermon on. And aren't you glad that's not happening today i believe that that god gives gifts to the body in ephesians the fivefold ministry has to deal with uh apostle prophet evangelist pastor teacher five some people say there's four i think there's five and i honestly believe that the two apostle and prophet are going to find its greatest fulfillment in these days we're living in i believe that when god started restoring these things in its appropriate order and manifestation when god began to restore these things that we began to see what he was doing and the minute we saw what he was doing we raced through the restoration process too quickly in other words we said oh i get it i get it he's restored pastors and teachers and evangelists so that means he's going to restore prophets and apostles and everybody just rushes in through that and i believe that those gifts to the body came out of the oven way too soon and so there were people who called themselves such, but they weren't really that because they just thought this is how God is restoring. And so 
And so the apostle and the prophet in recent years has been neglected, I think, to some extent. There's been talk of it. But it's been neglected to some extent because we feel like been there, done that, have the T-shirt, what's the big deal? But I honestly believe there's going to be a greater restoration to where we begin to see apostolic authority again and we begin to see prophetic authority again in, in, it, in a righteous, uh, uh, well-presented way. The church, the church really hasn't been uh, challenged by apostolic authority. You say, how can you say that? Because we haven't carried dead people out who didn't handle the offering well. The apostolic authority comes again and it can get a little, say, but I'm telling you, there's, there's, there's a sense that God is going to bring about again his template, his design in the earth for his church to look like what it looked like even in the book of Acts because I just cannot fathom that God's going to end any less than he started. Number five, civic reformation by a city church model. My heart has always been about reformation. You can't have revival without reformation and you can't have reformation without revival. Those two are so closely linked on the coin that's called prophetic. If all you do is reformation without the work of the spirit, then that just becomes political activism. And if all you have is revival without the, the, the consequence or, or, or the you know, the outflow of reformation, if all you have is revival with, with nothing touching a city in any way, shape, or form by way of righteousness, then you just had a series of great services. You see, you can't have really one without the other. And they're both on that coin, I believe, that's called the prophetic. The prophetic comes around that says this, we must have the Holy Spirit again in our midst. We must have an outpouring. We must have the power of God. You know, when the prophets faced kings, they didn't go in there with great political strategies. They went in usually with the word of the Lord. In my job, I'm, you know, and I've had to learn some things a, a more challenging way through the years, but this is what I've learned. My, I, I'm not a political activist. I'm a voice. And, and my requirement is to look at civic rulers and simply say, this is what the Lord has said. This is your responsibility. Now, you need to act on it. Now, I can't make them do anything. But I can tell you this, that there is going to be a city church model that when the church rises up and says, for instance, no, we don't want, we don't want those, those nasty adult bookstores in our city. No, we say no. They'll stop. We're, we're, tired. we're tired of killing the next generation. We say no. It'll stop. When we begin to say we want, we want to see a sense... Of, of fair play and righteousness. I under, I, I, we can get into the discussion as to how that ultimately will look. I don't know that I, I, I understand, but I understand what my job is, and that is, is that cities and nations are to give honor to God. And if you don't believe that, then you haven't read the Bible because God demanded honor from the nations and from cities. That's why he would destroy them because whether they believed him or not, they still were required to honor him. That's just how God is, you know. So I believe we're going to see more of that. Number six, a, a revival outpouring causing transition in conservative churches. You know, one of the things about being a historian, I know this, that when the Holy Spirit moved in the 60s and 70s, uh, the people got hungry for God and they began to just look. When people are hungry and they're thirsty, they find where they can be fed and they can drink. And there's going to be a great transition in the earth that's going to take place when the spirit of God is dispensed. And, and it really, it's an hour. It's an hour for his shepherds to seek God. It's an hour for us to cry out again for the spirit of God because there's going to be a great transition across the landscape 
in conservative churches, even those that said they were Bible-believing. Because I'm telling you, there's a work of the Spirit that is yet to take place. And that people, they're hungry to hear precept, and I love precept as much as the next person, but hear me when I say this, that precept is just dead dry letter unless the Spirit of God is at work and activated in your life. The Bible can give us great boundaries, great precepts. I believe it's an inerrant book. But hear me, it's the Holy Spirit that leads us. It's the Holy Spirit that moves through us. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals to us and turns the light on and gives us understanding. The Holy Spirit has to be acknowledged in an important way in order order for the full work of the kingdom to begin to take place. And I'm telling you, there's a great transition that's coming. Number seven, I believe clergy training will demand new wineskins. I will be the first to admit that I was probably trained in about as poor a way as you can train one for the ministry. I went to untold hours and years of school. I've got letters behind my name that honestly I needed deliverance from. So, so hear me when I'm saying this. I, sending, sending people away to Bible college, it may have its place. I'm, I'm not throwing stones at anything or anyone. I'm just, but, I'm, but I'm just sharing with you some things that have been really on my heart. And as I'm getting older now in the ministry as well as in age, my heart is starting to move toward, toward pastors and my heart is starting to move toward those who aspire to pastor. Even my own son, you know, both my sons are in the ministry and, and so obviously I have an investment in my own flesh and blood. But, but I've come to the conclusion that we're going to have to have a, a new way of, of preparing pastors because pastors are going to have to know more than just the pragmatics of ministry they're going to have to understand the foundations of ministry they're going to have to understand i know it's a dirty word doctrine because you see doctrine sound doctrine is what god moves through in order to stabilize his people and to able to work through the church and there's going to have to be a new wineskin that that trains those that come to us or trains those that arise in us. One of the reasons we're starting the podcast is because I believe people are learning, again, by audio, more than they've ever learned in any other era. And we're going to have to find ways to appropriately train the, the new generation of clergy and pastors. And that's our responsibility as the local church. We are responsible to train up pastors. If we're going to plant churches or we're going to help guys... Uh, you know, go out and do the work of the ministry, then we're responsible to train them in an appropriate way. And uh, that's something we're going we're gonna to work through. Messengers, this is number eight. The Lord spoke to me about messengers and missionaries coming to America from abroad. America is in such a mess and, and we're having such a hard time at hearing the voice of the Lord and that is we're going to begin to see an increase of messengers and missionaries from other countries. In other words, there are going to be people from Russia and Korea and China and Japan and all sorts of other nations that are going to come to America to evangelize us. Yeah, and they're already here. We already know they're already here. My son was at his church the other day. Or this was a little while back. Ran into a couple. He was greeting them. He said, why, why are you here in America? And they were from Korea, I believe. South Korea, and they said, we're here because the Lord sent us here to evangelize this country. (laughs) How does that make you feel? 
You know how it makes me feel? I'm glad that they're here. And, and I welcome them with open arms. And we shall open them because that's the work of the Lord. It's almost like it, that's, another, that's another good news, bad news. It's like God saying, if you, won't, if you won't evangelize in your own nation, I'll still send fishermen to go fishing in your own nation. It ought to smite us, I guess, at some level too. Number nine is, I think there's going to be a great education reformation that will sweep America led by the church. Our children right now, are being sent off to school in order that their faith can be undermined most of the time. I just, I'm just going to start saying it out loud. I, I have, in this congregation, I know there are public school teachers, and I will say to those who are public school teachers, we love you, we appreciate you, and you are missionaries in a dark area. And so we, we affirm you, and we know there's good people doing their best to be salt and light in that area. I'm not picking on you, I'm not throwing stones, but I'm telling you something that Babylon is going to steal the next generation unless we wake up. And we're going to have to figure out how are we going to educate our kids? Because right now they spend eight, ten hours in Babylon. They are allowed to spend multiple hours in front of Babylonian media and television. And maybe we'll get them to 30 minutes in church if it fits our schedule. And we're going to lose everything. We're going to move into a dark age unless we get a handle on this and understand what it means to once again look towards the next generation. Our job, I'm 58 years old, and right now my only job is this, that I become a stepping stone and a conduit for the next generation. I'm going to give my life to another generation to come forth and carry the torch of Christianity, of spirit-filled living. I didn't give my life for all the things I gave my life for in order that it can be extinguished and snuffed out. I believe God wants to build upon our faith and build upon our families and build upon the family tree. And we're going to have to think about it. What does that mean? I don't know what it means. Some of you have already decided. You've homeschooled your kids. Some of you send your kids to private schools. This is what ultimately I would like to see because it's biblical. I would like to see a, a church that functions with the tithe in such a degree that the church can look at its members and say, we will help you educate your children. And it doesn't cost you another $8,000 to do it. You'd have to be obviously a faithful tithing member for that to happen, but somehow the church has to get this vision again because 30 minutes isn't going to do it in order to maintain the faith to another generation. There's going to be a great reformation that's going to take place in this area because at some point parents are going to wake up and they're going to they're going to see their little Johnnies and Susies and they're going to say to themselves I the, the, this can't continue the way it's continuing. So I'm just telling you number 10 and this is where we're going to wrap we're going to begin to see more of our old generals go home as the new generals arise. Now I'm not prophesying death over anyone. But there's a whole generation of generals what I call them spiritual generals. That are slowly, that are slowly going home to their reward. It's remarkable, is it not, that Billy Graham has lived as long as Billy Graham has lived? I mean, it's just remarkable. I don't know how old he is. He's well into his nineties, I think. Ninety-nine. Mercy. And God grant him. I hope he's. I hope he's living strong years out. I, I don't know his actual state, but to be ninety-nine, I, that's. But we all know Billy Graham is going to have his day when he goes to his reward. And there are others. Pat Robertson's one, and we can name names of people who are probably entering into that time period where they're going to go on. Who are the generals that step up to begin to be the voice, to begin to speak? Tozier once said, 
and I've quoted this often, that God is hiding his heroes. And the day will come when they will arise and the world will wonder where they came from. I believe that there are going to be generals, apostles, prophets, generals, who are going to begin to arise out of almost nowhere. I've kidded Bishop about this, but I mean it. I said with, we're out on the golf course and he'll be shaking in the golf cart. And, but he'll get up to that first tee and then it's like an anointing hits him to golf right there. I mean, it's just amazing. And man, he hits that thing. He's, he whoops my tail in golf. I'm here to tell you, man. The man is 70, he's got Parkinson's and he whoops my tail at golf. It's like this anointing just hits him. But I've told him, and we, we say it with smiles on our faces and laughing, but I've told him, I said, for the first, maybe for the first time in your life, you have the stripes of an apostle, of a general, and I believe your greatest days are still ahead. You're just, you're just now getting into it, man. I mean, you think about Paul. You think about the list of all that Paul went through, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, all the things that he went through. And those were, those were his resume for apostolic leadership. That's your resume, bro, for apostolic leadership. Because who would think of that? You. Except God. See, that's how God does it. Wonderful paradoxes. In order to trip our minds. Just looking around the corner, folks. There are other things that are on my heart. We'll probably share them along the way, but these were the things that I wanted to at least share with you this morning. And I just want to ask you this. How many of you are ready to go into the next year in the middle of God's plan? I want to be in the middle of what he's up to. I'm not, ask, I'm not trying to pull the Almighty down into what I'm up to. I'm trying to say, Lord, what are you up to? And that's where I want to be. That's where I want our church to be. I hope that's where you want to be in your life as well. Hey, Brad, come on up here. Let's all stand.